Look at you, man. This guy is fancy. This guy is fancy. I tell you, you ever meet a guy that like he gets he gets put in a situation and he just runs with it? That's David. And now he's now he's like a sound expert. You ought to hear him talk. He's like a sound, he's a sound expert now. He's over there with his cell phone. <laughs> he's over there with his cell phone just recording. He's editing that out because he doesn't want to hear about himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's not going to post that to the uh, podcast, huh? <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, I want to give, we'll give a couple more minutes and then we'll get started. Because I'm going to do some quick recap and, and then we'll head into some new stuff. Since it's been a minute since we have been together. But, Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. You know who we get. Well, some people are like, my boss is gone. Hooray. <laughs> Yeah, looks like we're probably looking at about five weeks. They got to take a couple trees out, but uh, the guy texted me today, and they got their power company come down. They got to take a couple trees out, and then they're going to run the pole and locate all the underground wires that are currently run there. They're going to set two poles, and then I guess they're going to put the meter on the second pole. I sent all the details what he sent me to pastor so he knows what's going on, but... <clears throat> and then we can actually, if we have questions, they gave, he gave us the contact number to the guy at the power company over there. So, so oh yeah, because basically they got the, th they got the main line going into the sanctuary, and then they just ran 100, you know, 
100 amp circuits from the power panel in the sanctuary to these three buildings. So they can't handle anything. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can they're on they're on a they're on a breaker. Uh, each building is on a breaker. Right. Yeah, if they have yeah, if they have an underground, I think they have like an underground wire uh, tracer on there so they can make Right. No, Oops won't mark it. But the power company, the power company will, since they know they're putting power lines in there, they'll come out with a, a scanner and they'll find them. So, yeah. I deal with that. We have to do that on this job. We got to, when people, when people, have, when money's not an option for people, they just come up with ideas. And that's <laughs> the worst. They come out and there's like literally, I mean, the, the pitch of this slope is like this. I mean, it's, it's a stinking cliff. And they're like, we want a road that goes down the side of this cliff. And we're like, really? <laughs> like, is that right? <laughs> is that what you want? I'm like, yeah, we'd really love a road. And I'm like, nah, well, you know. And then there's this massive, like, 800-year-old oak tree. And they're like, but you can't push any dirt down by the tree to make the road. <laughs> so we have to cut out the hill and then make the road in the side of the hill so that we preserve the tree. Yeah. And then so they, like, and they're like, oh, yeah, and by the way, there's every utility known to man underground here. There's... There's gas, there's electric, there's the sewage line, there's everything in the side of this hill. So be careful. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to, we'll, we'll do that. We'll be very careful, you know. So, but the, the, the septic line's only to their new addition, so they'll only have to, there'll only be two toilets that they can't flush in the house. I think they got like nine or ten bathrooms, so they can flush the rest of the toilets, just not those ones if we hit it. So, those are the kind of problems some people have right there. All right, well, let's go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. And um, let's see here. Um, Brother Bowman, we want to pray for us tonight, and then we'll get started. Amen. All right. So just a quick recap. Book of Galatians. It's been a minute since we've uh, uh, been together, but obviously the context of what we're dealing with is Paul uh, writing the book uh, to the Galatian church. Um, he's, combating, he's combating the fact that he's gone in and he's preached, he's established the church, and then there has been uh, these, these individuals that have come in and have basically started to weave in the law amongst the grace that Paul has preached to them already. And Paul is uh, extremely combative, if you will. He's very forward. He's not pulling any punches in this particular letter. Um, he's done his initial 
kind of like dressed down, if you will. He's made some very bold statements to show the severity of what he's talking about. So the tone um, is, is very clear. Um, of course, uh, verse 8 in chapter 1, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than he have received, let him be accursed. And those are some pretty bold words from the Apostle Paul. Um, in chapter 3, which is where we've left off, we, were, we left off around uh, verse number 16, I believe, um, if my notes are correct. So we've gone through, uh, this, is, this is kind of a heady passage, passage uh, in, in, in the chapters. And so, uh, as before, it was kind of, you know, the fireworks were shooting off, you know, and he was making some statements about salvation versus the law. Galatians chapter 3 is a place where a lot of people get hung up. Galatians chapter 3 is kind of treacherous, and what I'll show you tonight is that there's places in your Bible where God literally puts traps for people. And if you don't come to this thing with the right heart and... Put your ego and your intellect aside. God will let you mess yourself up. And that's the way this book is written. Dr. Ruckman said a hundred times, he's written it in his books um, all over the place. He says, this book is a two-edged sword. And he says, this book will give you light. It'll, it'll be a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. Uh, it'll keep you from sin. It'll show you how to get saved. It'll teach you and guide you in your life. It'll be the best companion that you have. But don't be fooled. This book is the most treacherous, dangerous uh, thing you've ever put in your hands. And um, when you think about the implications of what the Bible does, um, you know, religions are based off of the Bible. And everybody's got a scripture for what they believe. And so God, he, he sets up things in the Bible for the sheer, the sheer value of just testing your attitude, testing what your heart is when you come to it. The Bible is unique in the sense that it's the only book that what you get out of it is determined by the heart you have when you come to it. That's what makes the Bible unique. It's the book that not only you don't read that book, but the book actually reads you. And it exposes you. And so that's, that's what's unique about the Bible as a whole. And we'll see some of that here um, in Galatians chapter 3. But uh, we've, we've talked about uh, a couple, you know, really, really um, important things. We've talked about the law in depth. We've talked about um, miracles and, and what that looks like, how miracles magnify men uh, and ministries magnify the Savior. We've talked about replacement theology, this thought that God is done with the Jews and the physical promises that are given to the Jews uh, some way, shape, or form are put back onto some other entity or group of people, which we'll get into a little bit more of that tonight. We're not done in that vein necessarily. Um, so um, let's go ahead and pick it up here in Galatians chapter number 3 in verse number 16. Uh, we'll read a couple of verses up to it. Verse number 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, 
that we might reserve, uh, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That's important that you see that what he just said there, um, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon uh, the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be uh, but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Um, he saith not into seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after uh, cannot disannul, that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Now, the reason I say that this particular section is a little bit treacherous is that there's several words that are thrown out here that people love to attach themselves to, and it gets them in a lot of trouble. One of those words is the word promise. The other word is the word covenant. And then another word is the word inheritance. Those three words get people in a lot of trouble in this passage right here. Because when you start talking about promises and you start talking about covenants and you start talking about inheritance, there's spiritual and there's physical and they're given to Abraham, but what's he talking about? And he's saying that it's in Christ and wait a minute, what's going on here? Now, I know that we did go over uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when it talks about the families of the earth shall be blessed, right? Bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. Uh, and it says, in thy seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis chapter 18, says the nations, right? So it's different. It's not the same promise in Genesis chapter 12 as it is in Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis chapter 22. Um, but... What I want you to get out of here without getting too far into the weeds, and then what we'll do is I'm going to get into the weeds, and then I'm going to take the 30,000-foot view out and then just break it down really practical so you can get what the passage is actually saying. Okay? So verse number 16, Now to Abraham and to his seed, that's singular. Okay? To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Here's important that you understand what, what you just read. Promises is plural. Seed is singular. Okay? Promises is plural. His seed is singular. That means that those promises didn't go to the nations of Genesis chapter number 18. It wasn't for other nations. These promises were given to Abraham and his seed, period not multiple, not nations of Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 22. It's to his seed, that's Genesis chapter 12. Okay, so it's important that you understand that, that the promises are plural, but the recipient of those promises is singular in that it's Abraham's seed. Uh, it says, He saith not into seeds, okay, as of many, but as of one, just in case you didn't get that, into thy seed, which is Christ. Now, you have to understand here that uh, Abraham 
is in the, in the context here, but that he's not the only one that is in the context um, of uh, Galatians chapter 3. Isaac is also in the context of Galatians chapter 3. And you have to understand that Isaac, what happens in Genesis chapter 22? Genesis chapter 22 is what we call in the Bible a salient passage. Those of you that are in Bible college, undoubtedly you will hear that term, the term salient passage. That means it's a passage that's extremely important. That's just a fancy word that you learn so you can say fancy things like salient passage reads, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and the reason you learn it in Bible school is because some, you know, highly educated guru will say that and try to puff his chest out and you go, oh, you mean it's really important? <laughs> you go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> You know, it's a thousand dollar word with a five dollar meaning, you know, that kind of thing. Well, it's a salient passage. And what is in that passage? It's Isaac being a type of Christ. So you can't negate that from the, from the, from the verse. Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ. And Isaac is in the context of Galatians chapter 3. And we know that in Genesis chapter 22, he's a great type of Christ uh, there in Genesis chapter 22. The promises that are referenced here, uh, that are given to Abraham in chapter 3, verse 16, they are spiritual promises and there are physical promises. There's spiritual promises and there's physical promises. Okay? Spiritual and physical. Look in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under the schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That's spiritual. Right? That's spiritual. Look in verse 18. And if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. You know that inheritance, it's usually, typically... It's not always, but typically it's a reference to a physical promise, a physical uh, inheritance. All right? So the covenant was given to Abraham before the law. So again, we have the word promise, we have the word inheritance, and we have the word covenant. Okay? We see that the covenant is given to Abraham before the law. Okay, before the law. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. That's verse number 15. No man disannulleth or addeth thereto. The covenant was given to Abraham before the law because dispensationally, where's Abraham? He's under what? What's Abraham under? If we're talking about dispensations. He's not under the law. Dispensation, right? So the law came by Moses, right? Yep. Law is given to Moses. Moses is under the law. So, nope. He's under grace. That's why when we're talking about grace versus the law, Paul, you cannot, you cannot divorce the fact of what Paul is addressing in chapter 3. Look at this, verse 1 of chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only would I learn, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Right? 
It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. Uh, that's why when we're talking about uh, the difference between the difference between Abraham and Moses, the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We talked about that. It's his imputed righteousness. And it's given to Abraham through grace. Now, it's important when you think about dispensations that you understand that God's grace is evident in every dispensation. Okay? Even under the law, God had grace. Right? I mean, even though the law was intact and the law was the, the rule of the land, that doesn't mean that God's grace was non-existent. It just means that there was a method in which you obtained God's grace and it was via the law, the keeping of the law. And of course, if you broke the law, you had sacrifices and you had the ordinances, so on and so forth. But the way that you access God's grace was through that means. The way that Abraham accessed God's grace was through faith. And that is why Paul is using Abraham as an illustration now, what happens here is people get super heady right here. And what they end up doing is they end up taking those promises and the inheritance that God gave to Abraham and they want to give it to the Roman Catholic Church. Or they want to give it to the nation of Islam. You have to understand that what you're just reading in here is verses that people use to say the Jews don't belong in Palestine. It's not their land. What you have right here is verses that are used and have been used since the time of St. Augustine in the Roman Catholic Church back in like 350 or 353 B.C. or uh, A.D. or whatever. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? A.D. And, uh, and he's in there teaching this stuff. And what's he teaching? We're bringing in a kingdom. It's all rooted in post-millennialism. The minute that you can take those promises and put it on somebody else other than the Jews, now you are looking to establish a physical, literal kingdom on this earth. Because after all, you have the promises of the, the physical promises that were given to Abraham. You see that? That's a treacherous thing to get to, man. Especially when you consider the fact that if you really want to get into the gillyweeds and say, oh, well, Abraham, you know... Uh, you try to put any merit, you know, say the Jews, oh, the Jews messed up, so God's done with the Jews. So that's what they do. So they either do the post-millennial route, right, where we're the, we're the church, we're the true religion, right? That's what, that's what they, we have the conquests and we have crusades to spread the true gospel, the true religion, right? And of course, it's all by physical force, because after all, if you're fighting for a literal physical kingdom, why wouldn't you use physical force to spread your, you know, your monarchy, your theist, uh, your theistic, you know, tyranny over somebody else. Well, the, what happens is, is they go the post-millennial route or they go replace the replacement theology. And they say, well, God's done with the Jew. And so that inheritance came to us because the Jews messed up. Well, what do you do with that? Do you realize that when God made the covenant with Abraham, Abraham was asleep? He was sleeping, man. He wasn't even awake. <laughs> He, he puts Abraham to sleep and he makes him a covenant, man. And he wakes up and he's like, oh, man, that was a crazy dream. My goodness. 
as if it was based on his merit whatsoever. So just in case you really got the whole faith and works things all mixed up, God put Abraham to sleep when he gave him a promise. Just so that you know, it wasn't because he had some, you know, he had to do some crazy work in order to get the promise. No. You know what he did? He believed God. He had faith in God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And God made him some promises. They were physical. There were spiritual promises in there. And you cannot divorce the fact of how the Apostle Paul is using Abraham as an example. If you try to dissect what is being done here, what I'm going to show you in just a second, is there is a trap set for you and you will fall into that thing and mess yourself up. And it's important, now I'm not saying any of you in here would fall into that trap and get messed up, but what I'm, what I'm showing you is that this is how people get messed up. The book is written in a way where you have to come to it with a certain mindset, and if you start to think you're smarter than it, or you try to put your theology in it, and you read your theology into, into, the, into the Bible, God will let you do it. And it's, there's things that are put in there so that you do that. Well, God, God wouldn't do that. God is love. He would absolutely do that. <laughs> he would absolutely do that. All right? Uh, again, uh, verse number 16. The covenant was given to Moses before the law. Uh, therefore, because he, it was given to him before the law, that's why no man, in verse number 15, that's the reason why it says, no man disannulleth it or addeth thereto. God promised it to Abraham before the law. And so, because that, when the law comes in, no man can take that from, from Abraham. He can't change it. He can't add to it. He can't disannul it. All right, verse number 17. Uh, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. The covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. Now, this is a problem. This is a real problem because majority of your new Bibles take out the two words in here, in Christ. You may say, why in the world would you do that? <laughs> well, for one, they don't understand it. So we run into this thing <clears throat> that if you don't know your Bible, you may have good intentions in your theology, but then you run across a verse like this where it doesn't make sense to line up with your theology. So instead of you figuring out where your theology really lies, you just change the Bible. Because <laughs> you can't understand it. And you don't want anybody to think you're dumb. So what do you do? You just make something up. <laughs> you just make it up. So that you have an answer for it. And so... What at first value, you look at it, it says, In this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the covenant he gave to Abraham? Was Abraham in Christ? So what's in Christ doing there? You see that? So how did the scholars take it? The scholars, they say that Christ was in Abraham. That's what they say. So, again, if you're not understanding your dispensations, you may know, okay, well, when I get saved, I get placed into Christ. You may understand the doctrine of the body of Christ in that when, you're, when you get saved, since it's on this side, it's on this side right here. I got you. Check this out. No, you're fine. You say sorry. 
She's looking for this right here. That's what she's looking for. He's like, I need that. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is, is you may fully understand Ephesians chapter 5. I'm placed in Christ once I get saved, right? Then you come to that and you go, well, he's not. He's talking about Abraham. And he's talking about promises. And he's talking about covenants. And he says that this covenant was confirmed before in Christ. And so what you do is you take that doctrine that you know to be true. You're in Christ when you get saved. You know what you do? You put that thing all the way back on Abraham and say, Oh, well, Abraham, Christ was in Abraham. You may understand the indwelling Holy Spirit. I have, I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. And then you read that verse and you go, but how in the world was the covenant confirmed in Christ with Abraham? Oh, I see what has to happen. Christ had to be in Abraham. And you know what you do? Because you don't understand it and you don't understand dispensations. You know what you do? You put in a New Testament doctrine and you put it on Abraham and you mess up the whole Bible. Or... If you're a scholar and really smart, you know what you do? You just omit the word in Christ. You just say that it was confirmed in God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Problem solved. <laughs> right? Because God was back there in the Old Testament. But let's just take Christ out of this one, put him on the bench over here, because it doesn't make much sense to us, and it was probably done in error. Because after all, we know best. Right? So you just change it. Or you make up some stupid thing and say, oh yeah, Christ was in Abraham. But the problem is, is nothing scripturally indicates that Christ is in anyone before Acts chapter 2. So what do you do with that? Well, you know what you do with that? You figure out what the rest of the Bible says. Because if you find something in the Bible that you don't understand, right? The Bible's not wrong. You're wrong. And the Bible will always interpret itself. You don't have to worry about making it fit your doctrine. If your doctrine's right, it'll fit. You don't have to make it fit where it doesn't fit. Okay? Uh, Christ in you is a New Testament doctrine that follows the ascension. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, right? Christ in you, the hope of glory. You cannot put that doctrine on Abraham. So, the new Bibles take it out. The scholars change it, like I said. But here's the thing. That, look, at that, look, at that, look at that verse again. He says that the covenant was confirmed before of God in Christ. In Christ. Now, what you have to say, is there any other place in the Bible where that word in Christ shows up in that kind of context? Well, take your Bibles go to Ephesians chapter 1. Because just so happens, you know, what will clear up Somebody's college education is just simply reading their Bible a few pages over, just a few pages over, you'd get your answer. Right? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. Start in verse 19. Start actually verse 17, so you get what's the context of what's being talked about. 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him, 
the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, and what are the riches of His glory, and the inheritance of His saints, and that the exceeding greatness in His power to usward, who believe according to the working of the mighty power of His mighty power. Look at this, which He wrought. Who wrought? Who wrought? In the context, who's the He there? Who's being talked about? Look at verse 17. I'll make you all think a little bit. Ready? Look at verse 17. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who's, who's being talked about? God the Father, right? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the He in verse 20 is who? God, right? So He uh, wrought where? In Christ when He raised Him from the dead. So God can work through Christ. You see that? God is doing something in Christ. Not talking about the Holy Spirit being in you, just because it said the word in Christ. God is doing something, and He's doing it in Christ. Okay? Now let's take this thing another place. Go to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Now this may seem like you're straining at hairs and all this different stuff, but what have we said since we started this class? Words matter. <laughs> right? Words matter. Okay, Colossians chapter number 1. Look in verse, start in verse number 15. Um, now context verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of His dear Son. You see, who's the context? Who's being talked about? The Father, right? Verse 12. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God? You see that? Jesus, that's who, is the image of the invisible God. That's God the Father. Uh, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. What does that mean? That Jesus Christ is the image of God. And then what, look, at, look at the verbiage that is used. Um, I'll look this in another Bible. He's the head of the body of the church, the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. Things in my preeminence that please the Father, and Him should all fullness dwell, having peace made through the blood of the cross. And something. Oh, I'm looking at a different verse. Oh, that's because I'm not in the right place. When he says, um, when he talks about him being the image of God, talking about him being the, the, the face of, of the Lord is Jesus Christ, okay? Um, so, I was looking for a different verse, but I think I don't think I wrote it down. Anyways, um, the thing is, is that God says in, he says in Christ over in Ephesians chapter 1, so God can do something through the entity that is Jesus Christ. And then we find out that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. 
Okay, so go back to your uh, verse here in Galatians. What you find out in Ephesians chapter 1 and in Colossians chapter uh, 1 is that this, this thing of in Christ refers to God doing what He did in the Old Testament through Christ. Christ was the means in which God did something in the Old Testament. He was the image of the invisible God. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. That puts Jesus Christ in creation. You see that? So, when we read that verse, it doesn't mean that Abraham and Isaac were in Christ. And nor does, that, nor does the verse imply that. What does the text actually say? See, people get, they read in Christ and then they read all, all that different stuff into it. What does the verse actually say? It was confirmed before of God. It was confirmed of God in Christ. It doesn't put Abraham or Isaac anywhere near Christ. It says that it was confirmed of God. And, and, and where was it confirmed of God? It was confirmed of God in Christ. The seed of Abraham. Of course, again, Isaac being a type of Jesus Christ. Okay? Cannot disannul that. Um, that should make the promise of none effect. Okay, look at that's the second part of this uh, verse here. It says, confirmed before uh, of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. Now, I'm not going to get into the 430 years after thing right now. That's actually something that um, I can get into a little bit later, but that's actually uh, more so uh, gone over in the book of Exodus. And I don't want to get bogged down in that right particular moment, but we will get into it. Um, but look at what it says here. It says, that cannot disannul, uh, neither can disannul, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. The promise here, uh, this promise that is speaking here, it could be any promise. Right? It could be spiritual. It could be physical. Uh, for the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. It could be either one of the promises that we talked about. Remember we talked about that the promises in, in verse number 16. They're spiritual promises and physical promises. It could be either one. Here's the trap. You ready? Although he, you see what he's about to do. He's about to apply the statement from verse 14 to the argument. The statement that he makes in verse 14 is that uh, we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Right? That's a spiritual promise that's, got, that's received through faith. Or, right, you see in the next verse, in verse number 18, he says, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is more of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. An inheritance uh, which can refer to a physical promise. You get that in Genesis chapter 15. So, in verse number 17, or excuse me, verse, yeah, verse, number, um, verse number 17, that word promise can be either, can, you can either use it as spiritual or you can use it, you, you can make a, uh, an argument that it's physical because of, the, because of the spiritual promise being in verse 14 and a physical promise can be read into verse number 18. And you know what that is? It's a stinking trap, man. 
That's what it is. It's a trap. It's so that if you want to come in here and say that, oh, the physical promises that were given to Abraham are somehow placed on you or somehow placed on somebody else or that God's done with the Jew and the Jews have lost it and all these things that people like to take, you know what he just did? He gave you a trap. He said, now just sit in it. He says, interpret it however you want. Now, you're not smart enough to understand what, I'm what Paul the writer, the inspired writer of this book is trying to say. And you can't, and you got to put your intellect in front of every everything else, common sense. Then go ahead and step in my trap. And you know what I'll let you do? I'll let you break your neck right there. That's what he do. It's important to remember that Paul is still using an illustration to address the problem that he was telling us about in the first few verses of this chapter. And that is the difference between faith and the works of the law. That's the illustration that Paul is trying to get across. He's not trying to take away the promises from Abraham and give them to anybody. He's talking about New Testament salvation by grace through faith plus nothing without the works of the law. That's the context of the argument that Paul is trying to get forth to the church at Galatia. If you want to read in some kind of replacement theology in there, it shows your intent. And so verse number 18, you know what he does? He gives you your, he gives you your out. He gives you your trap. He gives you, your, he gives you the little you know, trip wire that you can trip and just the thing comes out of the, the side of the wall and takes your head off. So when the words are pressed, you see, these, you see these, these trigger words like covenant, and you see these trigger words like promises, and you see these trigger words like inheritance. And when you press those words together, you're in danger of thinking that the physical blessings are given to Abraham's, uh, that the blessings that are given to Abraham's literal seed are to be spiritualized. And they're not supposed to be spiritualized. Those physical blessings are absolute physical blessings with receipts. And so if you want to say God's done with the Jews and those are just spiritual promises and that land really belongs to the Muslims and the Palestinians and all that different stuff and thousands and thousands and thousands of people die over it, God will say, go ahead and believe it and use that as your proof. You dishonest <laughs> knucklehead. That book is treacherous, man. Right? They're not supposed to be spiritualized. You know, I'll show you another trap. You ready? Go to Isaiah chapter 61. This isn't unlike God. Again, sometimes we, we get this false impression of God's personality. And the truth of the matter is, is God will allow you to deceive yourself. God will allow you to believe a lie. God will give you the verses for it. You ready for this one? Look in verse number um, 1. Chapter, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the, Lord, uh, of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach the, uh, has anointed me to preach the good tidings unto the meek, hath sent me to blind and brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, to open the, uh, of the prisons to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Right? 
and the day of vengeance of our God to come for all that mourn. Wait a minute. What did we just read? To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Right? That's first advent. That's Jesus Christ coming and preaching. Right? Proclaim the year of the Lord. Comma. And the day of vengeance. What's that? That's the second advent. Well, if you read that verse, you know what you just did? You just read a verse that has over 2,000 years of history in a comma. And if you read that verse and you don't know how to place that verse or understand that verse, you know what you're thinking? I'm bringing in a kingdom, man. You're waiting for the second advent if you, if you don't understand what that comma means. You know what you do? God says, here you go, man. <laughs> Here's the first and second advent in the same verse, and I'm going to separate them by a comma, and there's over 2,000 years contained in that comma. Say, so what is that? That's a trap. <laughs> That's crazy. When he said, he said, study to show yourself a prudent unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, right, and divide in the word of truth, you got to realize sometimes you got to divide the verse in half. So, if you're a Catholic or you're one of these post-millennial, bringing in the kingdom, you know, I'm working for his kingdom and I'm bringing in his kingdom, and, you know, you're just waiting, you know, you're going to bring in the kingdom and eventually Jesus Christ is going to come back uh, because you did such a great job with the world, and he's going to come back and set up his throne and, 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 and you're just going to have a grand old time because you made the world such a better place and you ushered it in for Jesus Christ to come back. Uh... Go ahead, take your verse, take a fit. But if you realize that the first advent comes and he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. And he came to preach. And he had compassion. And he healed the sick. And he raised the dead. And he did all this different stuff. And then you know what he did? He allowed them to kill him. The absolute opposite of what you would think based on that verse. Where's the day of vengeance of our God? Right? Where is it? So if you read that thing laterally right across there, you know what you do? You mess yourself up. It's a trap. And God will give you exactly what you need. No, it's all right, brother. It was supposed pastor coming in. Yeah. So what happens is, is he, he gives you a trap. You fall right into that thing because you don't know how to rightly divide your Bible. And so, um, you have to be careful about that. So when he says, uh, back in our text, he says um, for, uh, that you should make the promise of none effect, for the inheritance be of the law, it is no, long, is no more of promise but of God, but of Abraham by, pro by promise. What you have to understand is that those things are not to be spiritualized. Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter number 4, verse number 13. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham for, uh, or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see that? Those are physical, those are physical promises. They're not to be spiritualized. 
how he obtained them was faith. Okay? Now, the, and the reason that you know, and, and this is the end-all be-all when it comes to this replacement theology or post-millennial stuff, and it's all messing with the Jew, is Romans chapter 11. And you guys should know this. This is one of the seven mysteries of your Bible, and you should know it like the back of your hand. Verse number 25, Romans 11, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. There you go. Don't be ignorant of this. If you're ignorant of it, you're going to mess up. Okay? Of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness and part is happening in Israel until the, day of the, uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, that is, it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, which I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. Why? Because they're elected. You see that? They're elected. According to election, they're elected. They're the apple of God's eye. Those are God's people, period. End of story. Okay? It says, they may be the enemies of, for, you, for your sakes according to the gospel, but touching the election, they are beloved of the fa- for, uh, for the Father's sake, for the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Those physical promises are not to be spiritualized, ever. You have no right to that land. The Muslims have no right to that land. The stinking Catholics have no right to that land. And any, and any religious... Uh, and any religious entity that ever talks about uh, having a conquest to spread the true religion and this, that, and the other, they're full of the devil. That's never been sanctioned by Paul at all. That's why they make, that's why they make Peter their pope. Why? Because Peter never speaks of the matter. If they, if they were ever to uh, resolve to the fact that Paul is actually the apostle of the Gentiles, you know what they'd realize? That Paul never sanctioned any kind of uh, church state. Paul never aligned himself with any kind of church state. Paul never aligned himself with any kind of government. And so it would ruin their entire uh, theology. Right? So you see that God, He has set traps for you. Now let's just do this down and then we'll end here. Uh, and I'll take some questions. So if you have some questions, be thinking about them here in just a second. I'm going to give you the, the breakdown so that I know that, again, the promises and the covenant and the inheritance and back and forth and back and forth. Here we go. Ready? Number one, if you're just trying to, if you're trying to number them, i got ten things for you here. These are real, real simple, but it'll help you break down what we're trying to say. Number one, we're just simplifying it now. Promises were made to Abraham. That's number one. That's what we're trying to say. That there were promises that were made to Abraham. We see that in this passage. Number two, some of those promises were physical and some of those promises were spiritual. Again, very simple. Number three, all, were, all of the promises were made to Abraham's seed, singular. They were not given to another nation. They were not given to another religion. They were not given to another entity. They were given solely, singular, to the seed, again, as outlined in verse number 16. Not a seeds as many, but as one, as he said in verse number 16. Number four, Isaac, who is the seed, is a type of Christ. Isaac is a type of Christ. 
You have to understand that. Number five, it's showing that what God did before the law was a reference to something He was going to do after the law. It was a picture that what God was doing with Abraham, right, in the seed, showing that what God did before the law, because Abraham was before the law, was a reference to something that God was going to do after the law. That's Roman, or Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Number six. Both dispensations are controlled by grace. The dispensation that Paul is referring to in his illustration is a dispensation that is, uh, that is um, uh, uh, controlled by grace. Abraham was in a dispensation at the time, although the death of Jesus Christ had not happened. He is still under grace and he obtained that grace by faith in what God said. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, much like you are underneath a dispensation of grace. And you obtain that grace by faith without the works of the law. And once you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are then imputed the righteousness of God. Okay, so both dispensations are controlled by grace and where grace is in charge, the scriptures are always pointing to Christ. Know that. In a dispensation where grace is in charge, the scriptures are always going to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why you see references to Abraham in Romans, you see references to Abraham here in Galatians and throughout Paul's writings because Paul is dealing with a dispensation 100% under grace and so was in Abraham. So there's overlap between those two and so Paul uses him as an illustration frequently. Does that make sense? And so when you're reading Genesis and you're reading in the time of Abraham, what you find is some amazing types of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Scriptures will always point to Christ where grace is dominant. Okay? Um, let's see here. Number seven. The spiritual promises uh, that were then made in regard to Isaac had a future reference to Jesus Christ. The spiritual promises that were made to Isaac then... They had a future reference to Jesus Christ. They were a picture of what was to come. God will provide Himself a lamb. Remember? Genesis 22. The spiritual promises made to Isaac had a future reference to Jesus Christ. Number eight. The coming of the law could not add or subtract from those promises. Okay? Because Abraham was before the law, he was under grace. Just because the law then came into effect under Moses does not disannul or change in any way, shape, or form the promises that God gave to Abraham. 
That's why he says on two separate occasions here, verses back to back, no man addeth or disannulleth. They can't touch it. It does not get changed. So anybody who tries to change it and spiritualizes it, they're directly against Scripture. Okay? The physical, number nine, the physical promises were made with reference to Christ at least after Genesis chapter 12. Because um, in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, uh, he uses that word seed in there. The physical promises were made with reference to Christ after Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Again, God, God doing something through Christ. Just like God, you could say God created in Christ. It's what he, he, makes that, he makes that example clear over there in Colossians chapter 1. He makes the example clear in the, in the book of John. Without him, nothing was made that was made. The Word of God, right? In, 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 in uh, John chapter 1. Okay? And number 10. The literal inheritance was promised to Abraham more than 430 years before the giving of the law. Okay? The literal inheritance was promised to Abraham more than 430 years before the giving of the law. Therefore, even though the literal uh, even though even though Israel is temporarily uh, displaced or set aside, Romans chapter 11, it must eventually receive those inheritances. Let me say that again. Therefore, even though the literal nation of Israel is temporarily displaced or set aside, it must eventually receive the inheritance that was promised to them. We just read that back in Romans chapter 11. That's what you need to understand about this, this section of verses here. It's an illustration showing you that there was some promises that were obtained by faith and by no means does it take away the physical or the spiritual promises that were given to Abraham, but rather it shows us a type of two times, two dispensations that were both under grace. It shows you a picture of what God was going to do in Christ for you and I Okay, and then he wraps up uh, here. We'll, we'll get into verse number 19 next week. But it says in verse number 18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Period. End of story. It's self-explanatory right there in the verse. Okay, now again, it goes back and forth, and the thing that people get tripped up on there is those words covenant, the word promise, and then the word inheritance. And they break their neck on that thing. And the, Lord, and the Lord designed it for them to mess up that way by putting those words all together and meshed them all up in there. And he set a trap for somebody that's not honest and, not, uh, and, and is relying on their intellect and all that different kind of thing. But uh, we're not to be that way. We come to, again, we come to the Bible and we, and we say, Lord, I'm dumb. <laughs> and you're smart. And there's some, there's some absolutes. Romans chapter 11 is an absolute. So if I contradict Romans chapter 11, then my interpretation of those verses can't be right. And just because I don't understand why it says of God in Christ, 
I don't change the Bible to fit my theology. I make sure my theology is rightly divided in a way where I realize, oh wait, God can do something in Christ and it not be a reference to Christ being in Abraham or Isaac or them being in Christ. You can't put the church back there. That's where you get looking forward to the cross, looking back at the cross. You see that? Anybody have any questions? I know it's a lot. I know it's a lot, and maybe your heads are buzzing. But if you have any questions, shoot now or forever hold your peace. Yeah. Sorry. Right. It's a lack of not understanding their Bible. Ishmael did have an inheritance, and they do, and that's why they're still here. Uh, he said he's going to make them a great my nation. They're going to be at war with their brother throughout the gener generations. It's absolutely that. Where they get the problem is, is they try to give them the land of Palestine. And that was given to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 22. That was a land grant given to Abraham. And so, yes, Ishmael absolutely does have a promise. Ishmael absolutely does have an inheritance. They're still around. They say they're going to be, he's going to be a wild man. But when you, in order for them to give them Palestine, they have to take Palestine away from the Jew. And this is how they go about doing it and, and messing with Scripture to do that. Also the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. Yes. They're all trying to make the kingdom of God heaven. Correct. Which, which again puts the land back into play. Absolutely. And we've, and we've gone over that. The, 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 the whole, we talked about that with the post-millennialism. The post-millennialism believe in that. They're bringing in a kingdom, and that's the kingdom of heaven. And you're, Jesus Christ even said in the, John chapter 16, I think, I think, yeah, John chapter 16 or 18, he said, my kingdom is not of this world, else my people would fight. And then, and then Paul says in Romans 14, 17, he says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, Right? It's peace, love, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So we're not in the kingdom of heaven, so we're not worried about conquering lands, and we're not even worried about who has the land at the possession for this point. God's going to give them that possession when He comes back. We don't have to worry about that. Right now, the, 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 the worry is, are you saved or are you not saved? <laughs> All right. Amen. We'll take a break, and then Pastor can get into it, I guess. Yeah.